Welcome to the Arise Church Podcast, where we exist so that way you can experience God. If you like this content, would you consider subscribing and joining our online community? That way you can get notified on each week's messages. With that being said, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to take one step closer to Jesus. Merry Christmas. If you're new to our church, my name is Brent. I get the privilege of being your lead pastor, and we're going to continue to experience God together today over the next few moments. Uh, it's going to be a powerful time, uh, but we always want to celebrate as we get started and have a unique celebration. In fact, uh, go ahead and play that video as I talk. Uh, a few weeks ago, we took an offering for the Arise Network and legacy partners around the world. Well, we just, uh, just like in the last week or so, were able to put power into this building in uh, northern India, uh, where they did not have electricity before. Uh, this little church, I want you to see this, this is valuable because this little church can now have services at night because they have electricity and they have a fan, praise God, because it gets hot there as well. And uh, so they are able to do that. And that's because of your giving. So thank you, thank you so much uh, for being a part of that. Also want to quickly mention a few uh, things as, uh, as we have a unique moment in uh, our church right now and getting ready for the holidays. Uh, but uh, we do have two Christmas Eve service opportunities for you uh, on South Shore at 4.30 on Christmas Eve and here in Brandon at 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Uh, we are, because there's no Christmas Day live service, we have a kind of an emphasis on that Christmas Eve service. It's going to be a dramatic presentation that's going to be really powerful. So be here, bring your friends and family with you. Uh, it's scheduled to be about an hour long. It won't be very long, so an hour or less uh, so that you can get with your family, but a great way to put Christ in the middle of the holidays. Uh, as well as on Christmas Day, there's a 10 a.m. online Christmas experience. That'll be on Facebook and, and uh, YouTube and all those places where you can usually watch us online. And, uh, and you can jump in uh, that day and be a part of the online experience. Speaking of online, we have an amazing uh, young lady. Patrice, wherever you are, I don't know where you are, run up here. She's running up here now. Patrice and Jeremy, sorry. I should have said Jeremy too, yeah. Patrice and Jeremy. Super excited to introduce you to these guys. It's, uh, it's been a few weeks late to introduce you just because of the way, you know, we had a kids play last week and things like that. Uh, but Patrice is our very first ever online creative director. You're like, what in the snot does that mean? That means she oversees all of our online ministries, specifically like our online services. And so if you are online, you guys who are online even now, uh, if you're online and somebody chats with you or connects with you, that's probably going to be her. Uh, she's also just working behind the scenes in all kinds of ways to take our online ministry to a whole nother level. We recognize that is the front door of the church oftentimes now. And most people watch online before they ever watch or come in live. And on a Sunday like this, it's actually, even in this service, is uh, sort of low attended compared to normal, it looks like. Uh, a lot of people are away for the holidays and traveling. Uh, I hear stories all the time of people watching on their phone as they're driving down the road and things like that. So we want to make sure that we uh, continue to make that available. But we're super excited to have Patrice uh, with us. Patrice was trained at Hillsong, which makes her super cool because she's from London and has the greatest accent in the world. And you know Jeremy a little bit because he's on the worship team and you probably see him a little more. And I think you sang a solo last week, I think, right? Yeah, I think so. Anyway, Patrice, you want to say anything? Yes, hello. It's on now. Hello, everyone. 
Um, I am Patrice, this is my husband Jeremy, and I want to say thank you to Pastor Brent and Ada for just welcoming us um, to Arise. I moved here just a year ago, we got married in April, and I'm so excited to see where the online ministry goes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm so excited to see where the online ministry goes, and we care so much about the people watching at home, because in the same way we get to experience Jesus here, we want them to have the same experience at home. So if you're online, feel free to comment, put your prayer requests in the chat, because we really do care, and there's a whole team here at Arise who we love you, and we're cheering you on in your journey with Christ too. So yeah. thank you, and say hi if you see us. <laughs> awesome. Like, as an apologist, I, I want to speak with this British accent, because your IQ points go up like 20 points as soon as you sound like that. You just sound so much smarter. And if we can figure out how online, if you could make your comments, like when you type, with a British accent. <laughs> she, she uses British words, which are so fun. Uh, what was the word the other day? She used the word asset to talk about volunteers. She's like, I got I to gotta work with my assets. I'm like, that's the coolest thing ever. Like all of our volunteers from now on, I'm going to call them assets. I feel like Jason Bourne. Oh, it's our church assets. I'm like, that's awesome. Assets are the work that we do. Oh, assets are the work. It's, okay. Creative assets. Whatever. It sounded awesome. It sounded awesome when you said it. So you guys are going to love Patrice. Like I said, she's been, you've been on for a little over a month now. Yeah. Yeah, about a month now, and so it's the first time to be able to introduce her to you guys. So uh, continue to pray for her and uh, Jeremy both as they step into this uh, new role. Can you just lift your hands this way? Let's pray over them. Father, God, online is a tool just like we have lots of other tools, and it can be used of you. And so, God, as you take this tool and primarily put it in Patrice's hands, God, I pray that you give her fresh insight, fresh creative thoughts, uh, show her the right direction to go, uh, give her divine inspiration on how to handle different opportunities as they arise, and just use her in a great and mighty way in this role. And I pray that this online ministry continues to grow and flourish and become a, a front door not only to this church but to the kingdom of God and affecting people uh, both here and around the world uh, with the good news of Jesus Christ. So let your kingdom advance through this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. I think I forgot to mention this a second ago. I, I said uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. There's no service on Christmas Day. There is service January 1st, the following uh, week. And so we will be back for um, Christmas, uh, or probably January 1st. And then this is a big one, and I know it's a few weeks away, but a lot of people look forward to this. January 8th is our State of the Church address. Come on. If you're like, what is that? That's where we talk about everything that God did last year and then share the vision for where we're going to go in the following year. That's going to be a particularly powerful, awesome day. And you get free t-shirts that day. We're going to be giving away our t-shirts. So bring somebody. Come. It's always, <coughs> it's always an amazing experience uh, as we celebrate what God has done and share with you what God is going to do or the vision of where we want to go in the next year. Around this time of year, uh, in other holidays as well, like Easter, uh, there's always a lot of stuff on TV, like clickbait type stuff or things to get you to watch. And it's like the untold story of this or that, or, or you know, the secret behind Easter, the real story of did Jesus resurrect, the real story of how he got the Bible. There's all that kind of stuff. And uh, I wanted to play off that a little bit this morning uh, as I share this message with you, which, by the way, is burning in me. If y'all came expecting, like, I know we got a nice, cute PowerPoint, and I'm wearing my pretty Christmas shirt. Um, <laughs> Which some people thought it said ho on it, like ho, 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 which, because the things were, it doesn't. But anyway, if you come like expecting, I'm just sorry. 
It's about to have like a gut punch from the Holy Spirit over the next few moments. If you come to hear a word from God, you're in the right place. If you came to have your ears tickled and to feel good about yourself, it may not happen. So I'm just warning you in advance. Okay. Um, but, but, but this untold story, because what we do so often with the Christmas story is we tell the first section of it, but not the second, second section of it, because the second section is much harder to comprehend, uh, to uh, uh, partake in than the first section. And so we love the, the shepherds coming and the magi coming, and we love the nativity scene and baby Jesus and silent night. Holy. We love that part of the Christmas story, but you do realize that it doesn't actually end there, and it's told about the very early childhood and what happens next. And that's what we're going to jump into for a few moments today. And that's kind of the untold story of Christmas because nobody wants to talk about this side. But I'm telling you right now in advance that what you're going to find today is a powerful lesson on what it looks like to be in the will of God. You with me? Who wants to be in the will of God? All right, who doesn't want to be in the will of God? I'm just, I'm just curious. Okay. <laughs> if you want to be in the will of God, you're going to get a powerful demonstration of what that looks like, and it may be different than what you think it looks like, especially growing up in American Christian context. Uh, and so we also want to do something a little bit unique uh, today. And, if, and by the way, if you want to turn there, it's Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 23. We're going to do something unique today uh, in an effort to, once again, it's a big part of who we are. We believe that there's one church, starts with a capital C, and meets all around the world, and we're just a part of that. And in an effort to continually bring unity within the churches of this region, we thought we'd do something a little different today, and, and uh, we're going to do this more in the following year as well, and that is have other local pastors read our scriptures for us. And there's always somebody that's like, I, I don't agree with everything they preach. I don't agree with everything I preach. Get over it. Okay, we're having unity around Jesus Christ and Him crucified, not every little detail of our theology. We can still have unity even when we don't agree on everything. So, with that being said, uh, uh, this is Pastor Caleb Hires. We, he planted a few years ago. We actually helped him plant. Uh, we bought his chairs for his building whenever he planted a few years ago. And uh, he's going to read our scripture for us this morning because he is a pastor in the kingdom just as I am and just as so many others are. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 23, uh, if you want to uh, turn your attention to the screens. Hey there, Arise Church. My name is Caleb. I'm the senior leader of the Wrestling Place Church, and I have been asked by your pastor, Brent Simpson, to read today's scripture. I'm so honored to do it. Let's read Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 23. It says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. 
Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Amen. Have, have, you, ever, um, have you ever felt unwelcome in your own house? Are you married? If you've ever had a strong conversation with your spouse, you have probably at some point felt a tension in the room inside of your own, even though it's your house, you picked out the furniture, you picked out the decorations, you planned everything, you organized it, but yet inside of your own house, you feel unwelcome. How many of you are traveling for the holidays? The worst can be when you travel somewhere for the holidays and and spend all the time and the effort to get to the holidays, walk into a house that you once again feel unwelcome in for one reason or another. Anybody going to see your in-laws? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's a, that's a bad experience. You can actually be in an environment that was created for you, by you, that's your environment, and actually feel unwelcome inside that same environment. That is the story of God and Jesus on earth. That God would want to send his son into the earth to be part of us. To be one of us so that we could actually learn the kingdom of God, where he comes from. We could learn who he is and where he comes from through the life that he lived. And through that, we see this image of the world didn't want him. In fact, if you were to read John chapter 1, you will quickly find out that he came to bear light. But we didn't like the light. We preferred darkness. And so while Jesus came, we didn't like it. But he entered our world so that we could enter his So God wanted to send his only begotten son that the kingdom of God could happen inside of your life and my life. And we could actually learn how to be one with the father just as Christ is one with the father. That we could learn, not like we're part of the Trinity, but that we could be sons and daughters of the Lord. That we could learn what that would mean like in our life. But he was unwelcome and unwanted in the earth. And I want to paint a picture, and this is why it's the untold story of Jesus, because because we love to sing Silent Night and O Little Town of Bethlehem and all these songs, but I want to paint the real picture for you over the next few moments. Starting with this, from his very conception, the angel says, you will be blessed, Mary, and Mary conceives and has a child and, and, and has this conception of a child inside of her, but yet we find out very early on that trauma is awaiting And what seems like a blessing, what God said would be a blessing, what she received as a blessing, is finding out that the blessing is actually hardship. In fact, they tell us now through modern science that a child can feel while they're in the mother's womb. So a trauma to the mother is trauma to the child, right? We kind of know that. It's always been a little bit intuitive, but you see it more obvious now through modern science. And you have this, this mom who is now pregnant in a culture that you don't get pregnant out of wedlock. That does not happen. It's not like nowadays where it's much more common. In those times, that did not happen. And all of a sudden, mom is saying, yeah, but it's God's. And everybody's going, yeah, right. And you got people talking bad about Mary. People saying ugly things about her. People making eye contact and, you know, all those little stares and all that kind of stuff that happens in in a gossipy church. We're not that kind of church, but in those places. In these little towns that you grew up in and and, and all this is happening and and, and there's an inner turmoil inside of Mary. Even, Even while Jesus is in the womb, he's already feeling a little unwanted because mama is feeling a little unwanted. To the extent that she has to leave where she's from and actually go to Elizabeth's, uh, to, her, to her family member's house in another region so that the people don't know her and they don't know her story. And she can kind of hide a little bit better in Elizabeth's house to that degree. So even before Jesus is born, he's already feeling this level of not being wanted. 
And then you take on, <coughs> I'm sorry, then you take on the fact that Jesus comes, comes past that part and he is actually born. But even, even the birth is a crazy, crazy, tragic story if you really put yourself in the story. Because you got a nine-month pregnant Mary who has to get on a donkey's back and ride him all the way to Bethlehem. And that's what every pregnant woman wants to do right before they give birth. But they get to Bethlehem. And sure enough, there's no doctors available, and there's no Holiday Inn available, and the, even the Best Western doesn't have any rooms available. And so where do they have to go? They go, they, they go to, a, to a stall, not a bathroom stall. They go, they go to a, a manger scene, and, we, and we, we, we tend to glorify this in our modern conceptions of what's going on here. But first of all, and you may have heard me say this before, but, but first of all, it's not a nativity the way we see it mostly today. It's probably not made of wood. It's actually a cave. You would put your animals in caves at that time period. Wood was precious, and you didn't waste it on making a barn. That's what we do nowadays. So now we get this American version of the nativity. But in those days, you would go into a cave, which, by the way, if you ever go to Israel with us, this year it's, uh, it's already booked up. We got everybody in it. But it come the following year, we'll take you to that place in Bethlehem. And, and so you'll go into this cave, and you'll see real quickly that it's not silent night, holy night, oh, little town of Bethlehem, you find out real quickly that, that it's a cave. It's dirty, it's musty, it's stinky, and you put animals in there, and there's animal feces, and it's, it doesn't smell so hot inside of this cave. And, and you got mama giving birth in the most gross environment. Oh, because God's will is a blessing. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Or thank you, God, in this case. Or, thank you, Father. And so you have this mother giving birth in this environment that's a, that's a horrible environment to give birth to. And it's, it's not at all what she would have planned or at all what she would have wanted and inside of this environment where you might have rats running around and, and roaches and bugs and sheep and all this stuff. And it looks a little different than your nativity that you set up at home that you, know, you play with. It looks a little different than that. And in that environment, you see and you start catching on to this idea that God's will for you can be extremely turbulent. It can be very difficult. In fact, I would say it this way. God's will for you is rarely a straight line. We tend to think of it as a straight line. God's will for me is to get me from here to there, and I am going after God's will. But what you find out real quickly is that God's will for you is rarely a straight line. So the shepherds come. Now, I didn't say this in first service, so I'm just going to give you some extra tidbits. It's my personal opinion. This is just my opinion. You can disagree with me all you want. Everybody that's a former Catholic, can you hold Mary into such high esteem? You'll probably hate me for this. It is my personal opinion that she gives birth to Jesus. She is away in a manger. It is stinky. It is hot. She's trapped inside a cave. She's just given birth. And she's probably going, God, what is going on here? That's my opinion. I'm just messing up your nativity. Sorry. That's why it's the untold story of Christmas. That's my opinion. God, is this really you? Is this really you? Are you sure? Like, are you sure this is you? And all of a sudden, shepherds come from nowhere, as far as she knows. And they come in praising God, going, is this the Messiah that we've talked about? You see? Now, I don't, you don't have to believe that if you don't want to. But shepherds come. And then at some point later, probably not at that same time period, although we tend to make the images on our stages of it, but probably not at that same time period, the wise men come, the magi. These, these science lovers from the East, and they come in, and, and, and they're looking for this Christ child as well. And this poor family that has nothing, that is struggling probably financially, is given incredible amounts of wealth by these three or more. It's not it say three. We assume three because there's three gifts it mentions. But these magi that come from the East, 
But I want you to see this. So then you take Jesus, and things are looking a little bit up, right? Now you got some money, you got things going right. And Herod, crazy, lunatic Herod, says, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him because I can't have a king of the Jews because I'm called the king of the Jews. I can't have a king over this region. He's not actually a king, by the way. He's a, he's a governor of the province uh, of, of the Israel province, Israel, the Judah province. He's a governor of that province. He's not really a king, but that's what I would refer to him at that time period. He's more like a governor. And so King Herod, Governor Herod, is saying, no, we can't have another king other than me. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find this one. And he actually goes to the extent of killing every child that's around that same age of what Jesus would have been. Two or under, we're going to kill all of them. Out of horrible tragedy. Ugly. Crazy. Why, why would God allow that to happen? I mean, I don't know. If, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm like Mary or Joseph in this instance, I'm like, I'm like, all right, God, you are king of the universe. Herod is governor of this local province. You could flick him like a booger. Come on. Like, like God, come on, can't you just take Herod out? Like, he's a bad guy. Herod was, was, Herod was crazy. So the whole thing with Herod killing the children in Judah, in, in Bethlehem specifically, the whole thing, of that, that's not unheard of for Herod. He was kind of like, that was the stuff he did. Uh, at one point, he actually killed his own wife and kids. Like, he was, he was crazy. Uh, when Herod died, it was to the extent that when he died, um, the Jewish people hated Herod. And so when he died, he gave an order that as soon as he died, that these um, uh, very popular Jewish rabbis, these Jewish leaders that they would be killed as soon as he died so that somebody would cry for him. He was crazy. He was nuts. Maniacal. Nuts. Now, thank, thank the Lord, when he died, they didn't carry out the order because he was dead. So, but that's the way Herod was. He was crazy. So God, why don't you take out Herod? Certainly that would make a lot of sense, right? Like, like get rid of Herod in this story. And, and, but instead of Herod, instead of getting rid of Herod, what does he do? He says, I want you to take the child and go, go where? Go where? Wait a minute. Go where? Come on, y'all got to talk to me. Go where? Go where? All right, I'm getting like half the room. Wait a minute. Have you ever read the Old Testament, God? The Hebrews, the Israelites, the sons of Abraham, they come out of Egypt, not to Egypt. There's a whole festival. It it was centered around everything they did in their thought and life called the Passover. Jesus is ultimately going to be the Passover lamb. There's a whole festival to celebrate that we, Israelites, come out of bondage and come out of Egypt. We don't go into Egypt. What do you do when God's will actually sends you to places you thought you'd never go? Places that that you don't even think you're supposed to go. And that's why it's the untold story of Christmas, because we don't want to share this part of Christmas. And so he goes into Egypt, and it's kind of crazy, because when you put yourself in the story, you start to recognize some things. Do you recognize that Jesus was an illegal immigrant? I know you don't like to think about it this way. He was contraband. They literally wanted him dead, and he is a fugitive on the run through his parents, who are now taking him into Egypt. He's a fugitive. Tommy Lee Jones is chasing him. Some of y'all are old enough to remember that. Like he's Harrison Ford. Herod wants him dead. He doesn't get a passport. He doesn't get the right papers. He sneaks into Egypt to save his life because it was God's will. Quick side note, no matter where you lean politically, I don't give a rip where you lean politically right the second. You better be careful when you talk about immigration because that is the heart of God to help people. Be careful. Be careful some of the things that you don't start sounding like political pundits instead of sounding like the heart of God. 
the alien, the widow, the orphan. Better be, better be careful of the things that we will jump on political bandwagons instead of recognizing the heart of God. So I'm not telling you what to think. I'm just telling you, you better be careful of some of the things we think sometimes. And so you got this, you got this immigrant Jesus who's going into to Egypt, and he's raised there for a little while like, like things are, 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 are going to get better and, and things are going to get good, right? And so, so then he comes out of Egypt because they get a word that Herod is dead. Praise God. God find, if I'm Joseph, God finally wiped out Herod. That stinker. I'm going to get rid of that joker. Thank you, God. You finally wiped out Herod. Great part of the story, right? So Joseph's like, well, I'm going to take the baby back because he has another dream from God. It's the will of God. I'm going to take the baby back into, into Israel. And no doubt he's trying to take the baby to Jerusalem because where else would you raise the next Messiah? The next rabbi, the next guy who needed to know the Torah and, and the law. Where else would you raise that other than Jerusalem, God's holy land, his holy spot on earth, as they would see it, and take him to the temple and, and such. Where else would you go? So, so he starts going back, and then, and then he gets word. <laughs> then he gets word that <coughs> Herod has a son. And Herod's son is just as messed up as Herod is, because, you know, it kind of runs in the family. Don't blame your parents. Herod's son is kind of messed up as Herod is. And so now he's going, oh, I can't actually even go to Jerusalem. I need to actually run back into Nazareth. Isn't it funny that God's will? Because you, know, you do recognize Jesus was in the perfect will of God all of his life. That God's will actually sent him back to where he came from, which is not where he wanted to go. Anybody have bad memories of bad places? Mary and Joseph ran from Nazareth. They were not interested in going back. to People in Nazareth knew their gossip, knew their story. The people in Nazareth, I mean, come on, this is Joseph. He's trying to get out. He does not want to go back to his in-laws. <laughs> so he has to go back to Nazareth. And it's funny how the will of God works because we make our plans. But God oftentimes interrupts our plans. So, so, so they said we, we, we should raise the kid here. God said, no, I want him to go to Egypt. Because there's a prophecy that you may not be all that familiar with that says, out of Egypt I will call my son. We just read it. And well, then I'm going to take him to Jerusalem. And God's like, no, 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 I want to take you back to Nazareth. Because there's a prophecy that says he's going to be called a Nazarene. Nazarene? That's nuts. In fact, Philip would say, does anything good come from Nazareth? That's like this little podunk town. That's like saying like God came from Sefner or something. Like That's like this little, <laughs> no, ain't nothing against Sefner. I'm just saying... It's like a little no-name town that nobody would ever know, like little, it's like, does anything good come out of Sefner? I don't know. I'm just teasing. Just teasing. I love you if you live in Sefner. I was going to say Plant City, but I'm tired of beating up on Plant City. But, so, so he's raised now in this little community where everybody kind of knows each other, they know their story. It's not the community that Joseph or Mary, either one, would have chosen to raise their child. It's not the community that they would have, that they would have gone in, at least in my opinion. And I, and I want you to see this, this picture of what's going on. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He escapes to Egypt. He's raised in Nazareth. He would later minister in Galilee, which is nearby, but it's not exactly the same. He would minister in the Galilee or Tiberias area. Then later on, he's going to die in Jerusalem. It's this, it's this weird path of getting to God's will. And I thought going to God's will meant I went from here to there. Like if the Christmas tree is God's will, then I am on my way. And what you find out is when you're following God's will, that oftentimes he has all kinds of deviations to your destiny that says, I think I'm supposed to go there. And God says, no, no, I want you to come over here. 
Now you're going to go this way. Now I want you to actually come back over here. Anybody ever flown? Sometimes, like, like one time I flew to Costa Rica, that's south. I had to fly to Atlanta to get to Costa Rica. I had to go north to get south. Hubs taught me that. Sometimes the will of God is not quite so much of a straight line. Sometimes God will take you through some stuff, take you through some places so that you can experience the fullness of his will. And this is crazy because you just got to see it in this light. This is the untold story of Christmas. That, that, that Jesus has a traumatic childhood. Like I know you want to picture Jesus as like everything's so great and he's walking around like touching all the little kids in the nursery and, and you know, whatever. Jesus has a traumatic childhood. I don't know about you, but if, if I'm sending my child to earth, if I'm the creator of all things and I'm sending my child to earth, I want to set him up for success. So I, I give him things that he needs. I want him to be born in a royal family. I want him to be, to be born inside of a palace. I want him to have the finances that he needs to rule and reign and do the things that he needs to do. This is one of the reasons the Pharisees and religious scribes could not see that Jesus was the Messiah because they thought in their own wisdom that they knew how he was supposed to come. But when he comes so lowly, when he comes with a traumatic childhood, you know you can have God's will in your life even if you have a traumatic childhood. I know some of you in this room have had horrible things happen to you in your childhood. And I'm not saying that's God's will. That's not what I'm doing. I'm simply saying that, that you can still have God's will even though you have that childhood. Because Jesus did. Emmanuel came to earth, God with us, and experienced some of the same pains and agonies that you and I have so that we can then experience them alongside of Jesus. So that when he says, I understand what you're going through, he really understands what you're going through. And I know we have this picture of Jesus with his long flowing hair and, and very Americanized looks or British looks and his beautiful sandals and the winds blowing in his hair and he looks like a hippie. I know you got that version of Jesus, but I'm trying to show you the real one this morning. The untold story of Christmas. Number two, if you're taking notes, God may be advancing his purpose in your life even when it seems you're going the wrong way. Just because he's going to send you south doesn't mean he won't send you north to Atlanta to get to Costa Rica. And so oftentimes we get this idea of what God's blessing is supposed to look like and God's will is supposed to look like. And sometimes we can get so frustrated because we think we're out of God's will because we find ourselves in difficult times. We find ourselves walking the wrong way and we're going, what's up, God? What's up, God? We find ourselves being people that say, God, I know you called me to marry this person, but I don't even like this person right now and I don't want to be with this person right now and I am done with this and I know that was your will, but now I'm going the wrong way and it looks like we're heading for divorce. So, um, <clears throat> I don't know, a month ago or whatever it was, a month and a half ago, we went to India uh, and then Nepal for a while for uh, some of the missions we do with our network. We, we fly from here, first of all, the wrong direction. We fly from Tampa, or Orlando, Orlando, right? Fly from Orlando to Chicago. We're going to India. Orlando, Chicago, India. India and Nepal are one of the few places in the world, Nepal specifically, I've done it, where you can go east or west and it's roughly the same distance. It's literally the other side of the globe. I have sometimes gone east, I have sometimes gone west. If Pastor Ken was here, he can validate this. I am very proud of this. I have circumnavigated the earth without a seatbelt on. You're like, what is that? I'm just, I'm just rebellious at nature. Okay? God hasn't crucified all that. So I literally did the entire earth without a seatbelt on. I would hide it from the stewards. <laughs> anyway, so, so now, now I got to go. We're, we're going to go to India, so we're going to go to the right. We're going to go east. And, and in order to go there, first of all, we go the wrong direction. We go kind of northwest to Chicago. We get to Chicago, everything's going fine. We're going from Chicago to India. 
Well, that's no big deal. It's a beautiful thing. We have a right amount of time. We go to the airport. We're getting some Chicago-style pizza. Come on, y'all Chicago folks. Go Bears. Deep dish pizza, beautiful thing. God's that Chicago deep dish pizza. Get on the plane. Everything's going great. We take off. Ooh, we're taking off. We're all good. Put on the headphones. We got our 6,000 movies on that little screen that you can watch because you're bored out of your mind for this flight, right? So we're doing all. I know y'all think I'm holy and I read my Bible all the time. I'm just being real with you. Watching movies. Put all that on. Everything's fine. We're going. We've probably been in the air for, I don't know, maybe an hour, 45 minutes. I'm not sure. Something like that. Everything's fine, man. We're going straight to India. We're going to do ministry. God's going to bless what we're doing. It's going to be awesome. We are in the air. And people start making these little comments and gestures pointing out the window. And I'm looking out the window. What's that? And, um, and they're dumping fuel out of, out of the wings where they got the tanks. They, they're literally like fuel is shooting out of the side of the wing. And I'm like, okay, that's not good. There's a lot of murmuring going on, and, and pretty soon the, uh, the, the captain comes on, right, the voice of reason. Attention, everybody, um, don't want to alarm you too much, but we are going to have to turn around and make an emergency landing in Chicago because our flaps are not working on our airplane. And so in order to do that, we have to dump the fuel, i.e. fuel is explosive and we don't want the plane to blow up. And so we are dumping the fuel. We are going to fly around in circles for the next 30 minutes. I have no idea if that's biodegradable or like what the issue, whatever. I know that's where a lot of people's minds go. But he's like, we're going to fly around for like 30 minutes in circles, and we're going to come back and land when we have a very small amount of fuel so that, so that we don't have issues with that, right? So we're like, okay, all right. So, so we do that, going around. I'm just watching a movie. I'm like, it's cool. We start, we start coming back down. Stewardesses come up. All right, guys, we have to prepare for a crash landing. Awesome. All right, let's do this. So, so they start walking through everything you do for a crash landing. Uh, stewardesses who are usually relatively nice and, you know, friendly people, all of a sudden are not friendly. Everybody, pull out the manual in the back of the seat. I have not looked at that manual in 10 years of flying. Pull out the manual. I'm like, okay. You, pull out. you have to learn the brace position for when we crash, when we land. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And so, so they teach us the brace position, um, uh, which is awesome, by the way. If you ever do it, you put one hand over here like this on, on the seat backs in front of you. Put your head down and lean over as far as you can, which is not very far for some of us. And they say, you're going to go into this brace position whenever we say the words, and they're going to say, over the intercom, brace, 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 which was the funniest thing ever, the coolest thing ever, because uh, uh, she says, we're going to say this, a lot of our plane are Indian people that I don't think spoke English very well, and so all they heard was to say, brace, brace, brace. And so when it actually comes time to do that, they start shouting, brace, brace, brace. It was like a rap song. Brace, 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 brace. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm like, we're going to start some. Anyway, it's going to be great. I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm, I'm in the middle. You know, it's a huge plane. I'm in the middle uh, section, but I'm on the aisle. And the, the, uh, the emergency thing's right there by the door, um, you know, where they have the emergency door. And um, so I'm watching, because they're just right there beside, beside me. I'm watching the stewardess teach the people how to open the emergency door, right? So he's like, you're going to pull this open. It might be hard. It might be snug. You're going to have to push really hard. Are you strong enough to push really hard? They always ask that, but now they're really asking that. Are you strong enough to push hard enough to open it? And when it opens, the slide's going to shoot out and, and blah, blah. And then they start talking to the rest of us. They said, they said, here's the deal. They said, when as soon as we land, as soon as we land, uh, uh, I want you to unbuckle your seatbelt. They're going to open the door. The slide's going to shoot out and you're going to run out and jump down the plane or jump, jump down the slide, which I thought was the coolest thing ever. Y'all got to understand my personality. Karen can vouch for this on multiple occasions on this trip. But I'm like, this is really cool. And I'm like, you ain't taking my phone from me because I'm going Instagram live as I jump down this, as I jump down this slide. This is going to be awesome. I don't know anybody that has an Instagram live of a crash landing. This is going to be the greatest. So I'm like, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm holding my phone. I literally was holding it for the moment. 
And so we're like, we're all prepared for this, right? And so sure enough, the, the plane starts coming down. And, and, uh, uh, and I don't know if you've ever had these moments. It's pretty rare in life that you ever get to have these moments where you can literally think, in the next 10 seconds, I could die. That's kind of a gift from God. Now, I know y'all don't look at it like that, but like how many times do you have that you go, man, I could like, I could be seeing Jesus and in 20 seconds I could be like face to face with the Father. Which, which told me, so I'm not scared of death, but I am a little scared of pain. <laughs> so my prayer in that is like, God, if you're going to make this plane blow up or something, just like kill me really quickly. Because I really don't want to have, like, I don't want to be burnt, I just want to die. Like, I'm, you know, and I don't want to die, but you see what I'm saying. And um, so I'm having all these thoughts, and sure enough, the plane starts going down. Brace, 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 brace. It was awesome. Land, psh, keep going. Everything was perfectly fine. There was not an issue whatsoever. It was, it was actually an easier landing than it was the first landing in Chicago. And um, everything was perfectly fine. It was way overblown. Um, but, but, but then we had to get in a line with God bless United. And to get in a line with United that lasted for over three hours. By that point, it's like 2 a.m. or something like that. Uh, they sent us to a hotel where we slept for like two or three hours, get back the next morning, and they added into this flight a trip to Ethiopia. <laughs> we went from straight to India to Ethiopia to India. Ethiopia had a seven-hour layover in Ethiopia. That was the only way they could still get us there. It put us 24 hours late for the whole trip. Ethiopia... Um, which I love, if you're watching online from Ethiopia or if you're in this room from Ethiopia, I love Ethiopia, I love the Ethiopian people. But your airports are not very nice. It's hot, it's humid, it's sweaty, it's a little stinky. They're just not very nice. And it's like that around the world in a lot of places. So it's not the place I want to be necessarily, especially when you haven't slept. Because some people can sleep on an airplane, I can't. So we've gotten like a couple hours of sleep leading up to this. Now we're stuck in this Ethiopian airport. And on top of all that, it was my birthday. It's like God was in heaven going, happy birthday, Pastor Brent. I say all that. <laughs> I say all that to say, if y'all missed it, she said, fasten your seatbelt. <clears throat> I say all that to say this. Here I am. I'm going on a mission trip. I'm going to do the will of the Father. I'm going to do, and I'll be honest with you, at this point in my life, I am not going because I think it's cool to go, because I get to experience another culture. I am not going for any of those reasons. I am legitimately going because I believe I can be a blessing of God, because I believe He's called me to do this, to impart and impact those, that other huge group of pastors there in India. And I'm literally going for that reason. There is no selfishness in my attempt to go on this. So I'm doing God's will. And in the middle of God's will, he's like, yeah, it's not going to go so easy. All hell is going to break loose. You may die on this airplane. We have some other crazy stories I'll tell you another time. But it was crazy. Like anything's going to go at this point. That's the way God's will is. You thought he's just called you to go to that. Ah, that's, I'm just going there. And before you know it, you got a crash landing in your life. Before you know it, you're running into some, some loopholes, you're running into some issues, you're running into some tragedies, you're running into some health crises, some financial crises, you're running into some moral crises. You never thought your husband would cheat on you, but then all of a sudden, in the middle of going down God's will, what the snot was that, God? Yeah. And if you're not careful, what you'll start doing is blaming God. And if you're not careful, you'll eventually start walking away from God. Let me tell you, why this message is so profound inside of me and why I believe this message is so important and why I would be willing to preach this on a Christmas-type Sunday where it's supposed to be all nice and jolly. Let me tell you why. Because we have an American version of Christianity that says, I will follow God as long as he blesses me and gives me what I want. We turn God from Jesus in a manger to being a Santa Claus. 
That when I pray or when I ask, he's supposed to give me what I want. Give me what I want. Give me what I want. And when he doesn't give me what I want, just like a child growing up, you stop believing in Santa. You stop believing in the Lord. And I have known way too many Christians who walk through a hard time and turn their back on God as if you thought it was supposed to be easy all the time. Who told you that it was going to be easy all the time to follow the Lord? Who told you that? The Bible doesn't tell you that. I'm not going to tell you that. Who told you that following Christ was going to be simple and Kool-Aid would always come out of your water fountain and everything wonderful and your kids would never misbehave and you'd never have to bail them out of jail? And you'd... Who, who... But we've, you know, when I travel the world, one of the things I, I try to do a lot, it happens a lot, is I try to connect people to a kingdom culture. What is the Lord's will? What is the kingdom culture? And I'm always so very specific because I said, not an American culture, not a Spanish culture, not an Indian culture, not a Nepali culture, not a Russian culture, but what is the kingdom culture? Because the, the, the thing is we need to be part of that, not a part of our, our own versions that we find in the different parts of the world. Right? Right? America has a culture of Christianity that is unchristian. It is not kingdom. And that culture of Christianity says, God just wants to bless me. God just wants to take care of me. We have worship songs galore. We don't sing them in our church generally because uh, I, I actually approve all of them in advance. And there's some songs that you guys might sing on your own that we just don't do here. I don't know if you ever noticed that. Because it's a me first worship. God's going to take care of every one of my needs. He's always going to, he's just going to give me everything. Tell that to Jesus. Tell that to Jesus' parents. Who experienced all this trauma. He was perfectly in the will of God and experiencing trauma. And if you're not careful, you will start thinking that God only loves you or you're only in the will of God as long as good things are happening to you. You are in the will of God as long as you are in relationship with God. You are in the will of God whether good things or bad things come to you based on your relationship with God. You can be going through hell. And sometimes you are very much in the will of God, more than the person who is blessed. Are you with me? We've got to be so, so cautious, so cautious of the way we look at this, because this is a huge problem across America. We've turned God into a Santa Claus, and that's just not the way it is. Uh, around the world, I, I meet with these different pastors, and I teach on these different things, and it's always a, a little bit of an inadequacy inside of me because of the difference in cultures and and there's a part of me that, that most of these pastors have been persecuted for their faith. Most of them have been imprisoned for their faith, especially in different places where I go. And, and, and there's a part of me that's like, who am I to be able to say something to you? Like, you should be teaching me, right? But they don't have some of the basic theology and, and principles that I, that I get to bring. And, but there's this challenge within me because I'm like, I haven't suffered for the gospel the way you have. I haven't suffered the way you have. Did you know that you can suffer for the gospel and be in God's perfect will? I know, I know that Americanized version of all our worship songs and our Christianity says that if you're suffering, you're not in God's will. But if you are suffering, you very well may be in God's will. And it may very well be that God calls you as a fish that's going this way to turn around and go against the current and fight against what's happening around you. And it's going to cause you persecution. You may get saved and lose your job. You may get saved and lose your spouse. I'm just being real with you. Because we get this image that's broken and is completely incorrect that somehow God just wants to lavish everything upon you and there's no responsibility on your side. The call to follow Christ is still the call to come and die. 
to pick up your cross and follow after him, to come and die to yourself. And if things go well in your life, praise God. If things go poorly in your life, praise God. Or the way it used to be said, blessed be the name of the Lord. In seasons of plenty, in seasons of want, blessed be the name of the Lord. When life is good to me, when life is bad to me, blessed be the name of the Lord. When, when my kids are behaving, and when my, who am I talking to this morning? When things are good and when things are bad. <coughs> but we can't start this Americanized version that paints this picture like everything's great. And if we're not careful, we do that even with the Christmas story in Silent Night. It was not a silent night. On multiple levels, you got angels scaring the snot out of shepherds in the middle of the night, right? right? Read the story as if you haven't read it a thousand times. The, the shepherds get freaked out because the angels come in like a heavenly choir. That would, that's dark out there. That would freak anybody out. Sorry, I, I'm digressing. But we, we create this version of the nativity story that loses the power, which leads me to number three. And it's going to bring some resolution to some of the things going on in your minds right now. God will use your painful seasons to forge your character and unfold your story. God will use your painful seasons to forge your character and unfold your story. Let me tell you what happens sometimes. There is no perfect rules with God. There is not like this is why God always does this. I don't think it works like that. But, but, but sometimes, sometimes it's actually the painful season that he will allow you to go through to test your character so that you can experience the blessing. And if you have the blessing too early, you won't have the character to handle the blessing. All right, let's make this really practical. Parents in the room especially, you can understand. Even if you're not a parent, you can understand this, okay? We live in a very blessed American society today. And one of the things that we have to wrestle with as parents is how much do we bless our kids compared to how much do we make them work for. Just because you can buy your kids everything doesn't mean you should buy them everything. All right? So let's make a super practical, and I know this is, everybody's a little different, but let's just say that your child is graduating from high school and you have the amount of money to buy them a car. Do you buy them the car? Or do you say you need to work for the car? Human nature is, as parents, is to bless our children. But if you bless your children too much, all of a sudden they'll lose some of the tenacity and the grit and the, the inner strength that they actually need to develop in order to have a successful life. And so the blessings can actually backfire. So you need that. And if we battle with that as, 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 as human beings, how much more does the Father battle with that with us? That we say, God, I want this and I want this and I want this. And God says, yeah, I want you to have it, but I want you to earn the character to be able to handle it. Sometimes, sometimes that's what it's about. Sometimes it's character development. We, we say things, and, and there is some biblical precedence to this, but I think the way we say it is wrong sometimes. We, we, we say this. We say um, uh, God is testing us to know if he can bless us. Well, I think God already knows how you respond to a test before you take the test because he's omniscient. However, you don't know how you will respond to the test until you're tested. Another pastor, Kieran, story. Uh, we, uh, we were walking around India, and I, I kind of mess with our team sometimes. And I was asking him um, uh, ethical dilemma questions. And uh, I was asking him the question, we're walking around. And I said, uh, you know, if somebody has, if somebody's going to kill your, your family, would you kill them? Would you kill them first? He thought about it. He said, I don't know how to kill your family. I said, all right, if they're a terrorist and they got your family hostage, would you kill them first? He said, but how do I know they're a terrorist? I'm like, because I just told you they're a terrorist. 
if they got a hood on and they got a rifle at them and they say, I'm going to kill your family, would you care, kill the terrorists before they kill the You know, and it started out exactly if they had a whole room of people, would you kill the terrorists? And he was frustrating and tired of me because he would never give me the answer I wanted because I wanted him to say I'd kill him. Because I'm like, I'd kill him. I'm sorry. If that messes up your theology of your pastor, I'm like, I'd kill him. And in the middle of this whole little psychological debate I'm having with Kieran and messing with him, I, I, he said something that was so profound. He said this. He said, well, he said, I think there's a lot of people who say they'll do something that when the time actually comes, won't do it. It's real easy to go, oh yeah, I'd kill the terrorist. They're going to kill my family. I'd kill them first. That's easy to say. It's a whole other thing to pull the trigger. I was thinking about that with this message. Because there's a lot of us who will say things like, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. Hell or high water, I'm never giving up. You don't really know that until you do it. God, I would follow you to prison. Maybe. But until you do it, you don't know what you would do. God, I would, I would never act on this sinful nature. You don't know that until you're in the opportunity to actually choose to act on that sinful nature or not. And it's less about God revealing to you, less about God revealing to himself what you would do. It's more about you revealing to your own self what you would do. Did I say that wrong? You get the idea. God probably already knows, but I don't know if you really know who you are until you're in a moment to figure out who you really are. So, sometimes, and this is not a perfect rule, but God's will will actually take you to a place to forge your character, to build who you are, so that the hard time actually teaches you who you are so that you can be trusted with the good time. I used to, back when I was a youth pastor, I used to have a chair and I would put it on the stage and I'd say it's my big brother chair. I don't have a chair. I would, I'd sit on the stage, but I'd mess up the camera people. What if, what if, what if, what if your hard financial time is actually to see if you'll keep tithing and trusting God so that he can send you the blessing? But until you walk through the hard financial time, you don't know if you can even be trusted with blessing. What, 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 if, what if you're crying out for a ministry to married couples and God sends you to your own ministry of counseling with your spouse and life is hard and you don't know if you're going to make it? What if that's part of the process for you to determine if you're going to quit when it gets hard or if you're going to stick it out and receive the blessing of God on the other side? What if walking through the challenges is actually what builds the character inside of you to know who you really are that allows you to handle the blessing? But if God were to give us the blessing too quick or too early, it'll destroy us. And let me be real with you for just a second. This happens all the time and it frustrates the tar out of me. Because I know people that they are followers of Jesus and let something happen. Oh, she talked bad about me. Grow up. I'm not following Jesus because people don't talk bad about me. I'm following Jesus because I committed my life to following Jesus. And if everybody talks bad about me, so be it. I don't care. I'm following Jesus, but then I have a health crisis. And God doesn't heal me the way I think he's supposed to heal me. And suddenly you're not walking with Jesus anymore. Stop it. You either follow Jesus in the good times and the bad times or don't follow him. Because it is a loose level of followership that you're following him for the blessing. He's become your Santa Claus. He's not your Lord. And yet we see this all the time in America, and it drives me crazy. I have pastor friends of mine that I love, that I love dearly, that are great men and women sometimes. 
And they'll walk through a hard time in the church and the church abuses them and that happens way too frequently. And the church abuses them and they walk away and they, they basically walk away from God and they're calling in all of it. And I'm like, what did you think when you signed up? I don't know, maybe people come up with other ideas, but I've always kind of went into it expecting people to hate me. Expecting, that's kind of what Jesus taught. That you would expect people to condemn you. You would expect people to dislike you. I kind of went into it, so when you like me, I actually am like, wow, that's amazing. Are you with me? I'm not making light of the stuff we walk through. That's not what I'm doing. I don't want to do that. I'm not making light of it. I'm just saying, what's your level of commitment? What's your level of commitment? Because God's will is not a straight line. It's usually a dotted path with a lot of hurdles and a lot of jumps. It's usually a path that's much more difficult than a straight line. And the beauty of the Christmas story is not just the beauty of the nativity scene. It's the beauty that I have learned to follow Christ when he takes me back to Egypt, when he sends me to nowhere land, Nazareth, when, when, when tragedy is happening because other people are being killed on, because of me. The beauty of the Christmas story is built into the brokenness of humanity. That we did not want his story in our story. It is his story, history. It is his story. And we did not want his story in our story, so we kicked him out. We said, we don't want you. And the beauty comes that when we accept him back in, the world will still try to kick us out. And if you are not having the world try to kick you out from time to time, I'm not saying you always have to live there, but if you are never having friction with the world's systems, then you're probably missing something. You're probably going in the same direction with them rather than going against them. And I think our pain and difficulties teach us how we will respond. If Jesus, stand up with me, please. if Jesus had to take the long and winding road the bumpy and awkward road how much more will we have to do that so I guess I'm summing all this up and trying to pull it all together in a package for you to just simply say this will you follow Christ when life gets hard Or will you have an American system that you think God won't allow it to be hard for you? Will you follow Christ when life is difficult? What is your level of commitment on the long and winding road that is the will of God? Will you only follow as long as he blesses you and and, and serves your needs all the time? Or will you follow Christ when you're locked in a prison cell like Paul? When you're stoned to death like Stephen? Because you know that is our story. What's your level? Will you follow Christ when there's Herods in your life who hate you and want to destroy you and want to do all they can to take you down? Will you follow Christ when you end up going to Egypt instead of Jerusalem? I don't want to go to Egypt, God. I've been to Egypt. I've been to that place. God, what are you doing? Will you follow Christ when he sends you to the wrong place? Will you follow Christ when everything inside of you wants to go to Jerusalem? And he says, no, I want you to hang out in Nazareth for a while first. Will you follow Christ when his will is not your will? Because that is the Garden of Gethsemane prayer that Jesus wrestles to the ground on behalf of every one of us. And he says, nonetheless, not my will, but your will. These services is a little different this week. And I know, I know some of you came for a nice, pretty Christmas message. The pastor's wearing his pretty red sweater got Christmas trees on the stage, a pretty PowerPoint with Christmassy stuff. 
And you thought I was going to tell you about the meek and mild Jesus born in the manger. And I don't know. But my job is to get a word from God and deliver it to you. And some of you, 20, 2022 has been hard. Man, you've, you've fought some devils. You have fought some Herods. You've walked through some stuff. And there's some of you, you get to the end of a year like this, and you're like, I don't know if I can keep following Jesus. He hasn't blessed me the way I thought he was supposed to bless me. Will you follow Christ even when it seems like he's not blessing you? All things work together for good, but not all things are good and seem good and feel good. But it will work together for good in this life or the next. Who's writing your story? When I have my hand on the pen of my life, I tend to write in a lot of blessings. God, do this for me. God, do that for me. I love it when you, I tend to write in a lot of blessings. I tend to send my place and self in the blessing places. When God takes the pen of your life, that's when you really surrender to him and you'll go wherever he calls you to go and do whatever he calls you to do. I miss the days where people would be called into missions and go to places they never thought they'd go and never want to go and somehow God puts it inside of them to want to go to these places. How committed are you to Christ? Because this morning is a moment to recommit yourself to Christ. Now in this room, I'm not, I almost always do a salvation call and maybe we will in some form. I just don't feel that this morning. I'm talking to you who are already Christians. You who have already committed your life to Christ. That every once in a while, you got to go back and recommit yourself. Every once in a while, you got to step back and go, listen, I will follow you anywhere. Anywhere you go, Jesus, I will be with you. Because if you're not careful, you became a Peter who said, Jesus, I'll never deny you. And then you find yourself denying him. Because every once in a while, you got to recommit yourself as a follower of Christ to say, I will do whatever you call me to do. I will follow wherever your will leads me. Even if it's back into Egypt, even if it's away from Herod, even if people are attacking me, I will follow you. I'm not going anywhere, Jesus. I am yours. And that's the call that the Lord is saying to this church this morning. How committed are you? If you don't have food on your table, will you still serve the Lord? If somebody's mean to you, will you still serve the Lord? How committed are you to the call of God? Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider subscribing? If you were moved by this message, we would love to hear your testimony. Please email it to amen at myariseChurch.com. I pray you leave here feeling encouraged and inspired. We'll see you next time.